Well, good morning. Welcome to worship. I'm glad with you, to have you with us, whether you're online or whether you're worshiping with us on, at home. And I hope you've had a fantastic Fourth of July weekend so far. It was pretty loud last night, though, wasn't it? Uh, about a year ago, I had the opportunity to um, visit some of the missionaries that our church supports. Uh, and one of the missionaries that I had a chance to visit was Max McClure. He grew up in our church. His parents, Gary and Melanie, still attend here. Uh, and uh, Max uh, lives and ministers in the Prague, Czech uh, Republic area. And after I spent about four or five days with him, and his family happened to be there at the same time, so that was an extra blessing. After I spent some time with them, I had a couple of days break before I went to visit our ne- next missionaries. And so I, I took the opportunity to, to go to Salzburg, Austria. Thought, well, I want to try this and see what it's like. And I, I went there and spent a few days there. And, and Salzburg is the birthplace of Mozart, and it is the setting of the sound of music. So it's a cool area, very beautiful, lots of museums and parks and fountains and statues and flowers and gardens. And there's a big river that divides the city with these cool bridges uh, that, that go across the river. But without a doubt, what dominates the city is this castle. Uh, there's a few pictures of it. there's a castle up high above the city and it's called a Hohen Salzburg castle. I had to practice saying that uh, it's the largest, most fully preserved castle in all of Europe. In 1077 A.D. construction began and it wasn't completed until 1500 A.D. I had the chance to tour it and it's really amazing. I mean, there's all sorts of hidden passages. There's, you know, there's the parapets, there's the walls. Um, there's, um, all sorts, there's a dungeon, um, all sorts of towers some really cool stuff. They had some underground plumbing and heating, which was wild to think about back then. Um, it's just a really amazing place. Uh, but the main reason it was built, of course, was to be a fortress. It was to be a stronghold, a, a castle to kind of establish a presence in this area, uh, to defend and protect and, and to maintain that, that, that presence. And it was never, ever overrun by enemies. It was sieged, besieged several times, but it was never actually overrun by enemies. It's kind of cool for me because here in the U.S. we don't see castles, right? Most of the rest of the world, rulers of all kinds and stripes, would establish these fortresses with moats and all sorts of things, high, thick walls, all designed to protect and defend and to maintain a presence in an area. So this idea of a, of a physical stronghold, well, the closest thing we would have in the U.S. would be, you know, maybe forts back in the days of Western expansion, or today maybe something like Fort Knox or the Pentagon. But strongholds are very much a part of our landscape today, whether we realize it or not. Strongholds have always been a part of our world throughout history, and I'm not talking about the physical material strongholds like this castle here. There are strongholds that tower over castles like this, strongholds that have much more impact and and have a, a very strong hold on much of this world, including many of us. What am I talking about? Well, turn with me, and we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians, Paul's second letter to this church in Corinth, chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and, verses 3, 4, and 5. And before we read it, I want to give you a quick recap of, of what we're doing here on Sunday mornings these past few weeks. We are going through a sermon series entitled The Unseen World. And the idea behind this, this series is that the, the Bible very clearly describes this unseen world, a spiritual realm beyond what we can see in the physical and material world. And the Bible tells us that there are these there's forces of good and there's forces of evil, forces of light, forces of darkness. There's forces led by God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit and his angels. And there's forces led by Satan and his and his demons. 
And as the Apostle Paul reminds us in Ephesians 6, our, our battle, this, this battle that goes on, in the, it, it's not against flesh and blood. It's not against other human beings. Although we often tend to think that way in our world, that these people or their worldview or those people who vote that way or those people who look that way, they're, they're our enemies. We have differences. We have opinions. But, but Paul tells us our real enemies are, are, are in the spiritual realm. Okay? And, and he tells us later on that, that our, the Bible tells us that this enemy, Satan, that he uses all sorts of tools, lies, accusations, temptations, all sorts of things like that to try to drag us down, to try to destroy us, to pull us away from God and his, his purposes for us and his purposes for our world. The good news is that we don't have to be afraid of this spiritual battle because through Jesus Christ, we have the victory. The battle's been won, Right. Satan, sin, and death have been defeated on a cross and through the empty tomb once and for all. And until Christ returns, there's this in-between time where we still have to live and work in this broken world with our broken systems and our broken, uh, broken minds and, and bodies, right? And so we, there's still a battle going on, but we don't have to be afraid because the battle has been won. The victory has been won. And it's just the aftermath now. So let's take a look at... Um, Let's take a look now at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. And we're going to be looking today at this part of the unseen world, the idea of spiritual strongholds. Okay? This might be kind of new to some of you. And if you're watching online and you're thinking, what is this about? Uh, just, just hang with me, okay? So let's take a look now at 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3, 4, and 5. For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So what's what's Paul saying here? Well, let's break it down this way. First, he says, we do not fight with weapons like the world uses. The world used certain weapons. As Christians, we are to fight differently. Okay? Whenever the church or Christians, we start to fight with the world's weapons, and like the world does, we end up in trouble. So Paul says we are to fight in a different way, with different weapons. So how does the world fight? Well, the world used powerful weapons to dominate, to oppress, to slander, to malign, to bully, to divide, to insult, to shame, to slander. To leverage situations and resource, resources for the benefit of, a, of one person against another or a group of people against another group of people. That's human history. But as Jesus followers, we are to fight differently. Our weapons are different. We use truth and love and sacrifice and service and prayer. We use wisdom from God. Jesus said we are to be shrewd as serpents. We're not to be naive. We're not to be pushovers. But we are to be gentle as doves. We are filled with the spirit of God and, and we are to operate out of the spirit's power, not out of our own and not out of our own wisdom, not using our own battle strategies and, 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 and designs. We are to seek God's will and follow his plans and designs. And we must never forget that we have power that is greater than anything in this world. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ that dwells within each believer. And that power has changed human history. Once and for all. Paul tells us that these weapons, they are divine. That's his reminder to us and to the readers. They're divine weapons. It comes from God's power, from God, not from us and not from the world. 
And so we have these divine, these weapons with divine power for what purpose? He tells us to demolish strongholds. So let's, let's talk about these strongholds a little bit. Spiritual strongholds can have massive and dangerous and serious effects in our lives as individuals, in our families, in, in, our, in, our, in our worlds, in our societies. So let's think about it this way. Let's come at it from this angle. Have you ever had the, this experience? There's something in your life that you desperately want to change. Maybe it's an action. Maybe it's a thought a pattern of some kind, how you relate to certain people, and you want to change it, and you just can't change it. You try and you try, you wish, you want, you pray, you try different strategies, how-to books, and you just can't change it. It's it's very frustrating, and and there might be periods where you have some freedom from it. There might be moments where you seem to improve, but it doesn't last, and you slip right back into it. And it seems to be worse than you started. As I've been asked, kind of describing that, many of you have thought of something. That's a stronghold. Now, these strongholds can be things like addiction or compulsive behavior. It can be a pattern of of lust or anger. It can be resentment. It can be worry or greed or gluttony. It can be a lack of discipline or laziness. It can be jealousy. It can be a lack of forgiveness. Those things can take root in our lives and have a, have a severe consequence in our lives, and, and they can destroy our lives, or at the very best, maybe, we'll live a life of where we're frustrated and unfulfilled, and we're just kind of getting by. We're not thriving, we're just surviving. These are spiritual strongholds that take root in our lives, and at their root, they come from a place of, of wrong belief. We believe a lie from Satan. We take on an accusation from Satan. They come from a place of, of an irrational fear. At, at, at the core, these strongholds are about a battle for our minds. Right? Now, so far, what I'm describing are, are primarily micro-level strongholds. You know, things that are primarily involved in an individual's life or maybe a family's life. You know, generational stuff. But there also are macro-level strongholds. I'm talking about worldviews, Okay? A worldview that is set up against the truth of God and the kingdom of God. So, for example, just a few of these. They usually end with ism, okay? Materialism. The belief that the material world is all that there is. And if you believe that, then it can lead to valuing things and their accumulation of things, worship of things, at the cost of a relationship with God and with other people. Or hedonism. It's it's this idea, this belief that life is about pleasure primarily. You know, it's about feeling good. Do what feels good. Do what you want to do. But that can lead to selfishness and self-centeredness. It leads ultimately to division and, 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 and separation. Or, or relativism, the belief that there is no absolute truth, no ultimate right or wrong, which leads to subjective truth where each person has their own truth, you know, and nobody has the right to say, hey, that's right, that's wrong, stop doing that. There, there, is no, there is no basis for a moral uh, foundation. And these are, these are kind of macro-level strongholds. They're pretensions and arguments set up against the knowledge of God. They are Satan's strongholds. And whether it's a personal stronghold, a micro-level thing, or whether it's a, a, a macro-level, societal sort of a stronghold, Paul urges us as believers, destroy these strongholds, tear them down. 
break their power. How do we do that? The last part of this passage, Paul urges us, take every thought captive to Christ. Take every thought captive to Christ. Remember, it's, it's, it's a battle for the mind because the mind controls our will and our heart and our actions, our behaviors, our beliefs, are what drive what we do, what we think, how we act. So he says, take every thought captive to obey Christ. And the Greek word here, it has this sense of bring something into submission, bring it under control, conquer it. How do you do that? How do you make your mind mind? My mind doesn't always mind me, you know. Uh, My thoughts sometimes wander places I don't want them to go. Which leads me into doing things that I don't want to do or having an attitude or whatever it might be. Our our minds are rebellious. They want to go in the different directions that we want them to go. And that can lead us to have the experience that Paul describes in Romans 7. Where he writes, I do not do the good I want to do. Relate to that. But the evil I do not want to do is what I keep on doing. I can relate to that. And he says, wretched person that I am. Have you ever felt that way? Our minds are, are it's, we're in a battle. And our minds are broken by sin. And they're vulnerable and they're susceptible. Which means that we often cannot trust what we think. Jeremiah seventeen nine says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? In other words, we have an amazing ability to, to, to tell ourselves lies, lies to, to deceive ourselves, you know. Um, we do it all the time. We tell ourselves, hey, things aren't as bad as, 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 as they really are. Or we tell ourselves things are better than they really are. Or we tell ourselves, hey, we're doing okay when we're not doing okay. Or, or we tell ourselves, that's really not a big deal when it really is a big deal. That's why the Bible tells us we cannot be trusted to tell ourselves the truth. We are not the source of truth. That's why it's so important to be discerning, to know what's of God and what is not of God. To be able to determine what the root of the problem is, why we're doing this or why we're believing this or what's going on in society or in our life or our family. And, and the only way we can do that is through prayer, through knowing God's word and applying God's word through the inside of others around us, and through the Holy Spirit revealing things to us. Now, I, I should back up a second. How do spiritual strongholds start? They often begin with a, some sort of emotional hurt, uh, a, a disappointment, or, or, or disillusionment, or a betrayal, or, or something like that. And it makes our hearts fertile ground for Satan's lies to be planted. And then it begins to build brick by brick a stronghold as we continue to believe those lies. And once he gains control of a, of a part of our life and that stronghold is established, he will defend vigorously uh, trying to maintain, maintain control of it. And, and these strongholds, these patterns of belief and of thought and of action, they can be passed down from generation to generation. You know, you can see that in some, in some families. But it can have, also happen at the societal level as well. There's, there's an example of this um, that, well, back up. These, these prior actions in, a, in an individual's life or a family's life or society's life, they can have a profound impact by leaving this opening for Satan to continue to build this stronghold bigger and better and deeper and more entrenched. 
is an example of this in 2 Samuel chapter 21. And we find uh, King David, he's ruling. And the people of Israel, they're going through a famine. It's been going on for three years. And, and King David is, is worried about his people. So he goes to the Lord and says, what's going on here? What's behind this, this famine thing? And the Lord tells David that the famine is because of the sin of David's predecessor. It's because of something that King Saul had done in a previous administration. What did he do? King Saul, he was dead, but when he was alive, he had killed Gibeonites. And the Gibeonites, they were, they were neighbors to the Israelites, and they had made a pact with the Israelites, vice versa, that they were going to be each other's allies, have each other's backs. And, and, and King Saul had betrayed that, that covenant, that, that pact, and he had killed some of the Gibeonites. It would be like if we had a, a treaty with Canada, we ran across the border and killed some Canadians, you know? King Saul had broken that covenant, and now Israel was suffering the consequences. He hadn't done it, his predecessor had, but they were suffering the consequences in their nation because of, of this sin. And so what has to happen? Well, you see it here in Second Samuel. David has to take responsibility for Saul's sin. David makes restitution to the Gibeonites. He pays back uh, what was for, the, for the loss that they've experienced. And, and God hears the prayer. And God heals the land and the famine comes to an end. We see this happen again with Nehemiah. We see it happen with Daniel as well. So that's sort of a, a, micro, a macro level example. But we could do the same thing for individuals. Maybe you have your stories in your own families systems as well. This can be, it, it could, there's strongholds that can be established. And so what do we do when we identify these strongholds? What, what are our options? How can we practically respond? Well, I'm going to make it easy for you. Um, it'll be easy to remember four R's. Hours, okay, we repent, we resist, we replace, and we receive. Repent, resist, replace, receive. And when we do this, we will see strongholds fall. We're going to experience more freedom. And the chains that hold us back, the sins that entangle us will fall away. And we will begin to walk more and more in the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. The love and joy and peace. Yes, freedom. Jesus said, I came to set people free. So the first R, repent. When you've identified strongholds in your life, the first thing to do is to repent. Okay? Seems obvious. To see real change, a person must not only understand what's going on in their life and, and why, but they must acknowledge that it's wrong and harmful. And then do something about it. Right? If I struggle with alcohol, for example... And it's affecting my work, it's affecting my faith, it's affecting my relationships. I must agree that it's a problem first. And then I must take steps to turn the other direction. That's what repent means. It means a 180 degree turn in the other direction. So say I'm headed this way, I'm believing the lies, I'm believing accusations, I'm choosing sinful actions, and, and I want to repent. So I turn around, I go the exact opposite direction. I believe the exact opposite of what I've been believing. I do the opposite of what I'm doing. I begin to take on God's thoughts and God's actions and God's priorities and values. I live in a different way. That's, that's repentance. So that's how you start. The next R, resist. When you have identified strongholds in your life, resist. James 4, 7 says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So we submit to God. We say, God, I need you. I surrender to you. 
Lord, I repent of my sin. I trust in you. You submit to God. And then you resist. You stand firm in the power of Jesus Christ, in the truth of his word, in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you do what Jesus did in the desert when he was tempted by Satan three separate times. Jesus resisted Satan. He spoke God's truth. He resisted Satan and Satan fled, didn't he? And remember, because Satan cannot stand against the truth. And God has given us as believers the ability to resist Satan. Much as we like to tell ourselves to make excuses, the devil does not make us do anything. We can resist the devil. Next R. When you've identified strongholds in your life, replace them with God's thoughts and actions. Well, I referred to that just a minute ago. There's an interesting parable in, in um, Matthew 12. Kind of an odd parable. Uh, a little bit concerning parable. Uh, there's an evil spirit. Jesus tells the story. There's an evil spirit and it leaves a person. And it goes off and wanders. And it decides to come back to, to the person, to the house where it was before. And it gets there and the house is clean. It's empty. There's no evil spirits. And it decides there's nothing here. So I'm just going to move back in. And this time it's seven times stronger. What does that mean? Well, we can repent of something that's nagging us, a belief or an action, a nagging, besetting sin. And we can resist Satan and he will leave. But then we must then replace that action or belief with actions and thoughts which honor God. Otherwise, we can end up in a worse place spiritually. Now, again, we, we know that how this works, Right? You try, really try to stop doing something or thinking something. And you have success for a while. But then it comes back stronger than ever. And, and, and you're worse off than when you began. It has a stronger hold on you. Why? You're resisting, yes. But you're not replacing. You're taking a, a defense-only stance. You're not being proactive. You're not establishing new patterns of action and thought in your life. You're just trying to hold off sin. That never works. We must replace with God's thoughts and actions. Paul tells us in Philippians 4, whatever is noble, whatever is true, whatever is... You can see it behind me. All these good things, those are the things you're supposed to think about. We must be proactive and replace with God's thoughts and actions. Finally, the fourth R, receive. Receive the filling and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because if we try to live our lives in our own power, we can get by for a while. If we have really good willpower, we can get by for a while. We can grit our teeth and, and kind of plow through things. But if we try to do that in our own strength, ultimately we are going to fail. And if we try to change and we do so without God's help, then the, the change isn't going to last. It's not going to be real. And if we try to live for God without His Spirit's filling, we will at best live lives without a lot of joy and a lot of peace. And at worst, we'll become legalistic, moralistic hypocrites, Pharisees. Ephesians 5.18 tells us, be filled with the Spirit. This is not a passive thing. We just kind of lay back and it happens. He says, be filled with the Spirit. Seek the Spirit's filling each and every day. Romans 15.13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you can overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. We can't do that on our own. Listen to this quote from John Ortberg. It's really, it's true, and because it's true, it's convicting. Isn't it funny how that works? If something's true, it's convicting. And so, listen to this. 
He writes, it is amazing how often people think they are the victim of whatever thoughts happen to be running through their heads. It is as if they are passive spectators watching thought run through their heads. Excuse me, thought run across the screen with no control over what is on it. However, there's a fundamental battle in the spiritual life being waged by the evil one over the nature of the thoughts that run through your mind. The ultimate freedom, the ultimate freedom that you have that no one can take away, even in a concentration camp, is the freedom to decide what your mind will dwell on. Spiritual strong ones, they don't have to, they don't have to have a hold on us. We can have victory over them. We can see them fall in our lives. We can see them fall in our world. We can be different. We can live life differently. We can see real change. We can, we can find true freedom through the power of the Holy Spirit filling us with the truth of God's word guiding us from a posture of repentance. We can resist the devil. We can live a different life and we can experience joy and peace. And yes, we can experience freedom from the things that hold us back and pull us down. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for the abundant life that Jesus came to give us. Help us, Lord, to live and walk in that abundant life and to experience freedom from the sins that entangle us in our world. Give us wisdom to identify them, these strongholds, and and help us, Lord, then to come to you in repentance. Give us strength to resist the devil and Supply us with the will and discipline to replace harmful ways of living and thinking with your thoughts and your truth and your values and priorities. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would fill us now and every day that we can really and truly see change and victory. We give you the Lord, we give you the glory, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.